Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, I don't know what you did this weekend, but I've got a, a mental picture of it. You were so excited by these Kawhi Leonard uh, you know, trade request or demand that leaked out on Friday that you wrote instantly. I mean, you put together like a thousand word column in about 15 minutes. And I just picture you sort of pacing around your room, patrolling your room as you eagerly asked me to do a Kawhi Leonard podcast about once an hour, every hour <laughs> for the entire week. And what's that Beanie Siegel eye like sitting alone in a four cornered room? That's sort of what I picture you having, you know, basically done for the last 72 hours. So I finally decided to get myself together for you here on Monday morning so we can deep dive into the Kawhi Leonard trade saga because I know you're really anxious to do it. Yeah, I am, you know. And first of all, on Friday, see, you are such a machine. You typically handle the, like, instant reactions to things because uh, you're, you're like the designated robot at Sports Illustrated and you were out birding you know embracing nature that on Friday afternoon so I had to step up and scramble and get to put together some semi-coherent thoughts as that news broke and then yeah I mean look at this point in my life as an NBA journalist slash NBA fan. I am just used to processing everything on this podcast. So when you were out of commission, it was very difficult for me to sort of adjust and get my bearings. But we're yeah, here. I, I now. couldn't. I, I couldn't feel decide if that was credit or blame there. But I'll, I'll take it either <laughs> right, way. A little bit Look, of both. <laughs> I'll cop to chasing a few egrets. You know, in my day, it wasn't a it wasn't a bad weekend. But I saw what you wrote. I thought you had a lot of great points, and also. By kind of stepping back over the weekend, I've got some just sort of bigger picture philosophical thoughts on this Kawhi Leonard uh, saga, and I'm sure we can get into those as well, right? Yes, absolutely. So here's the plan. You have to catch a flight in about an hour. So we're going to do a strictly Kawhi-themed episode to start the week, and I believe the plan now is to delay kind of our draft preview. The goal for the rest of the week is to have a draft preview on Wednesday and yeah. NBA the, draft. the goal is for us to be able to name more than two prospects because we've, <laughs> yeah. we've gone back to Aiton and Doncic like six <laughs> times in a row over the last month. So our, the goal is for us to learn at least five players in this year's draft. Yes, we have a lot to hit later in the week on the draft. So look forward to that. But for now, we'll begin here with Josh, who says, I am an avid Spurs fan, a love affair which started courtesy of David Robinson in the 90s. I'm pleased to say that I've enjoyed more highs than lows after, over the last 25 years. It's been a joy to support a franchise of such a high caliber. This is, he sounds like such a Spurs fan. And so, yeah, but here's the thing, though. Let's frame this. Josh, you haven't uh, enjoyed more highs than lows. It's been all highs. It doesn't <laughs> count as a low if you occasionally lose in the Western Conference Finals. I mean, come on. The Kings fans or the Timberwolves fans are out there rolling their eyes. It's a great point. And so Josh continues and says, It is with both surprise and dismay that I read the news that Kawhi Leonard wants out. It can't, you can't be that surprised after the last nine months. But nevertheless, he says, I just never thought it could happen to us. I'm angry and frustrated that a player chosen by the Spurs without fanfare, nurtured and developed into a star, 
paid very well to sit out all season, and now with a looming offer in the $200 million stratosphere, can just decide that they'd instead like to move on. What could have gone so wrong? How should our club respond? So, Ben, I'll let you lead off here with your big picture thoughts. You're, this, is, this has been a trying time for you. It's been a, it's been a tough year, and I know this weekend was emotional as well. So where's your head at as a as a longtime Spurs admirer? Well, I love any time you call back David Robinson, you know the cavalry is riding in on high horses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, Kawhi, well, you can go ahead and, and stiff us, but you're not David Robinson. You're not Tim Duncan. Um, I, I kind of hear every word that he's saying. I mean, it is a unique perspective that Spurs fans have found themselves in. You could see their local media over the weekend. I thought there were some really good columns in the San, uh, San Antonio Express News sort of you know, summarizing how they've been in a, a little bit of a bubble down there. To be honest, I I think the Spurs have also been in the bubble themselves. I mean, you look at how Popovich sort of responded along the way, um, you know, how this news trickled out apparently with, you know, reporters being told officially, you know, prior to, you know, Kawhi contacting the Spurs with his uh, trade request. Um, I think that they're in the bubble just like their fan base. And so from that standpoint, you know, you kind of feel bad for them. But look, this is a harsh reality. These guys aren't dummies. They surely hoped it wouldn't come to this, but it's not the end of the world. I don't think that this is like uh, the the end of the Spurs dynasty. Oh, the last 25 years, and now it's just going to be 25 years of ruin, right? If you have a great coaching staff, if you've got clear principles, if you can put out elite defenses you know, year in and year out, uh, you're going to be a lot better than the replacement level team or the teams that just don't have their stuff together. So it's sad. I think it's very confusing. And, and I think the main reason why it's confusing is because Ka- Kawhi hasn't really said anything. Yeah. The one thing Kawhi said in the last nine months, Andrew, was I want to be a spur for life. Well, how'd that go? Right. <laughs> you know, so I think the confusion factor will recede uh, once a trade is eventually you know, consummated, once Kawhi sort of gives his Kyrie Irving style explanation for why he wanted out. Uh, but until then, all the feelings that Josh is laying out there are natural and I just think if you're San Antonio, you know, get over it. You know, if you have to trade him, trade him. It's not the end of the world. Wow. Glass half full for the, for the monastery. Uh, I kind of like that I, because I think you can look at this with a clear-eyed approach and say, you know, Kawhi, Danny Green, and LaMarcus Aldridge, and the ghost of Pau Gasol— that was not enough to really contend in the the current version of the NBA, and it was only they were only going to get further away, probably. So, you know, I don't know if they're really like forsaking a a title nucleus here. I think that they were always going to be forced to make some tough choices over the next few years, and Kawhi has kind of accelerated that process. And to your point, there's a good chance that they can come away with this come away from this with more value than a similarly situated team. Um, like I, I think that they'll do better than Chicago for Jimmy Butler or even Indiana uh, with Paul George. Like I, I think that they're in decent shape. But to his question of, of what could have gone so wrong, I think there are two ways to answer it. I think in the very recent past, I think – it's a little strange because through most of the playoffs, it seemed like a lot of the buzz was that San Antonio would offer him the Supermax and he would 
take it. And there, there was just more optimism that Kawhi could could wind up staying in San Antonio. And I and one thing that may have accelerated this was Woj reported last week that the Spurs were prepared to offer a supermax a supermax extension, but only after Kawhi came back and proved that he was healthy and invested in what they were trying to do down there. And the, like once that article hit, it was only 48 hours later that like whoever is repping Kawhi texted like four reporters at once and we found out that he he wanted out on uh wanted out of the Spurs. Yeah, I mean, I think when we're looking at Kawhi's motivations for wanting out, I kind of want to play factor fiction a little bit with you because uh, it's an interesting comparison. Like, is he in a similar situation as Kyrie? He's won the title. He's got the validation. He has the individual awards. Now he just wants something else from his career. Is this sort of like a, a Shaq situation, you know, just outgrowing Orlando? Has he outgrown San Antonio? Do you really believe that it's just sort of, you know, hurt feelings over his medical treatment? Yeah. That's the reason he wants out. And the reason why I want to play factor fiction there, and I'd like to hear your thoughts in terms of what you think the major factors are driving his motivation. But you referenced the the roster around him, and I still would push back on that being something that we could use to explain his thought process, or at least being a major factor. Because San Antonio, when Kawhi was healthy, won 67 games in 2016, 61 games in 2017. They almost won 50 games last year without him. Right. So I know it's a weird roster. I know the individual pieces are kind of screwy. And you look at those deals in a vacuum, especially a vacuum that doesn't include Kawhi. (laughs) And you're like, wow, like this is not great. (laughs) This is going to get dark. (laughs) How many situations around the league are clearly better for Kawhi than what San Antonio was giving him? How many different situations in the NBA was he going to be able to play for a 67-win team? Outside of Golden State, you're hard-pressed to find another one, you know, in my in my opinion. So, I don't think that's what's driving this. You know, that may be something that they throw out there to just kind of muddy the waters, mm-hmm. but to me, there's there's some other motivation that must be higher and it could be the trust factor with the injury. I mean, that does happen, you know, players you know, take that stuff very personally, as they should. I'm sure he's very frustrated with how last season played out. Uh, but I think it also could be this this outgrowing factor. I mean, we saw it from uh, Kyrie Irving. And look, that's a tough thing to put in the media to say, hey, I'm just you know sick of Cleveland. <laughs> I want to go play somewhere <laughs> where I can get dinner at 1 a.m. You know, I want to go play somewhere that's got a little bit, uh, you know, more nightlife or a bigger city or whatever. Uh, that's a hard thing to say because that's going to go straight to your fan base's heart. They're going to take it personally, as they should. Yeah. Uh, but you can understand if you're Kawhi Leonard, you feel like a top five guy. You don't get the respect. And when you're in San Antonio, you always get lumped in with the other players uh, who are, you know, underappreciated and, and only the true basketball heads, you know, really respect like Duncan and and Manu and Parker. And if you're Kawhi Leonard at some point, that would probably get old, right? I mean, when you get fed up with like, yeah, I get I'm underappreciated. I get I'm constantly in, in kind of in Duncan's shadow taking the baton from him. But why can't I just get a Jordan deal? And why can't I just be a superstar, right? And I, I think some of that uh, is what's at play here personally. Yeah, I don't know. I it, It's a little bit of a cop-out to say that it's a combination of all of those things, but I really do feel like it's sort of a number of factors pushed him in this direction at once. And, uh, and you know, the, the roster left over, the best thing I heard is like, Pop is going to start drinking wine on the bench during next season Spurs games because it's just going to be that dark. But 
I, hey, it wasn't that dark this year. I get it was that dark, that. though. It was that no. dark against good. Well, look, okay, they beat a lot of bad teams this year because they're the Spurs and they're smart and they execute really well against good teams. They just didn't have it, and it, it's borne out in their record against playoff teams this this past season. I hear you, but let's talk dark. Let's talk Josh Jackson making gun motions <laughs> during a game. <laughs> okay. That's dark. Sure. San Antonio going about their business and, and running up almost 50 wins. They were pretty darn close to the three seed this year. Um, they might not be able to do that again uh, next year because everyone's going to be a year older because you don't have the hope factor of Kawhi coming back. Those guys are going to play hard and together, and they're not going to be a below 500 team. We've seen a lot darker. It might be dark by San Antonio's perspective, but that's still pretty light. That's my point. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is that Kawhi is not immune to what is what's happened to a number of stars over the last few years. As you look around the league, and like the best players are teaming up with each other to go go to war with each other in the playoffs, and like. The Spurs are winning 60 games in the regular season, but you get into a playoff series and they don't quite have the horses. And I think Kawhi, like last summer, I came on this podcast and after they signed Pau Gasol, was sort of scratching my head and saying, look, Kawhi might be the next star on the market. And uh, not to toot my own horn too much, but like we we did have that conversation a year ago. And, uh, and I remember talking to... A player, or no, a person with an NBA team, and the the guy I talked to was like, "Nah, you're crazy. Kawhi's not leaving." But even you, when I talked to you, said, "Uh, you know, that's a possibility." And I, and I think that's it's just a reflection of kind of the realities of what being a superstar is today. And then you add to that like breakdowns in communication regarding the injury and a lack of trust and uh and then throw in sprinkle in a little bit of like I need to be on a in on a big market team I need a shoe deal like that and that's the part that is kind of out of character with Kawhi and it's probably his people driving that as much as him himself but Kawhi is the one who empowers those guys. And uh, to me, the responsibility is on him at the end of the day. And I feel like my, my one takeaway is that Kawhi is still an incredible player if he's healthy. And that's a big if, and we'll get to that later in the podcast. But like he, he has handled this in the clumsiest way possible. And, uh, and I think it's been a bad look for him. It wouldn't be enough to make me like think twice about trading for him. But uh, but it's just it's been kind of strange to watch because they they've basically been communicating through like Chris Haynes and the media. As far as we know, they really haven't talked to the Spurs at all. And I, it's not how a, a player of his caliber should kind of handle his business. Yeah, I mean. Look, be careful tooting your own horn, Andrew, because you put every star on the market. I mean, that's just something that you do. That's one of your tendencies, so that's fine. You got one My right. point no, at uh, the time was that Kawhi was just as interesting to monitor as someone like Anthony Davis, who was coming up like three years after him. Kawhi was a factor. No, it was a good point. Um, in terms of how clumsy he's been, there's no question. And I think we talk about the downside of being part of this Spurs machine where, okay, you're constantly being compared to these guys who you may or may not care about. You're, you know, you're constantly in this like teamwork environment and, and kind of encouraged to downplay everything. And that could be a little annoying to an aspiring, you know, super duper star. 
But the benefit is he had almost complete cover and the total benefit of the doubt all season long. How many people really, truly killed Kawhi this season? And there were moments, I'll admit, especially after the All-Star break, where I wanted to come on here and just rant and rave about him. (laughs) Uh, And even I held my tongue out of respect for trust in the Spurs being able to figure it out. Can Can I ask you something? Did you see the clip of Stephen A. Smith losing his mind talking about Kawhi over the weekend? But even that was mild by Stephen A. Smith's standards, I just right? felt, I, mean, I, I, I watched that and I was like, man, he is channeling Ben Golliver's inner thoughts here. And Ben is too polite and too professional to ever really like unleash these takes. But it's it's what you feel in your Spurs heart. Look, Andrew, everyone can hear you trying to goad me into flipping out, okay? <laughs> we could all we could Stephen all A. Golliver, come on, bring it on. That's what the people want. I, I think the the more relevant thing here than going back and kind of questioning Kawhi's handling of it and the press conference where he said, I want to be a Spurs for life. I mean, what an utter disaster. That's I mean, that was a the red biggest flag, by the way. Oh, of course. <laughs> Whenever a player yeah. is on the block and, and says, I want to be here for life. It happened with Boogie. I don't think Paul George ever went that far, but it happened with Boogie and Jimmy Butler and then Kawhi. Yeah, I think LaMarcus uh, got in on some of that in Portland and, and that really angered people. And uh, you know, there's been a couple of KD in Oklahoma City. I yeah. mean, there was a lot of those kinds of sentiments that really bothered people as well. But uh, what I'm saying is this, when he gets traded, the scrutiny is going to go from zero to 100 real quick, Andrew. I mean, whatever, if, if he gets injured next season, the people are, I mean, it's going to be vultures. You know, everyone's going to be circling him. Hey, when are you going to be ready? Da, 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 da. And I think that's an issue for him because he's never been healthy. Do you know how many times in his career he's played 75 games in a regular season? Zero. He's never done it. Uh, he's always kind of in and out, and that's some of that is San Antonio kind of caring for him. That's what I was. But some wondering. of it is just is... recurring injuries as well. He's had a lot of injury issues, especially early on, and that's why to me the Kyrie Irving comparison is so fascinating because the excitement of landing a star like Kawhi is gigantic. But what we saw with Kyrie was. The, the player might change jerseys, but he's still the same guy with the same issues, right? We talked about health concerns in Cleveland. He goes to Boston, boom, season ruined because of health concerns. That doesn't mean he's terrible. doesn't mean he's never going to be able to get it together. They could easily win the title next year. You know, they're probably the, the second favorite team right now to win the championship. Yep. Uh, but you you those concerns travel with you, I guess is my point. And so for Kawhi, I think those are real legitimate concerns. If you're looking at, you know, trading the farm for Kawhi, you have to be prepared to not rely on him 82 nights. It's not going to be a Russell Westbrook scenario where he's playing through a broken face and giving you triple doubles every single night uh, in February and March. That's just not how Kawhi Leonard has rolled. Yeah, I, I completely agree. As, as I think this through, you know, and we'll get to the teams that will be in the market for Kawhi in a second here, but I wouldn't feel great if I were breaking up a winning team with a a nucleus that was going to contend for the next like five or ten years to add Kawhi because he's just a total question mark right now and uh he didn't look great when he came back from injury for the seven or eight games or nine games that he played this season and it would just the whole thing would give me pause I mean we don't even the specialists reportedly disagree on what's actually wrong and so you know if he's healthy, I, and I wrote this on Friday, if he's healthy, I think Kawhi is probably the best player to hit the trade market this way since Kevin Garnett, like 10 years ago. 
and uh, and it's a really big deal. But at the same time, the conversation around trading him is going to be a lot more complicated than it would have been like 18 months ago. And so that part of it is pretty interesting. And as far as the the Spurs side of this, the one thing that I was thinking about throughout this year is you and I came on here and we were like pretty sarcastic about Kawhi's behavior and the way he's handled this. And there were times when I kind of felt guilty because look, from his perspective, he feels like he can't trust their doctors. He feels like he's being pressured to play. And so I don't feel great about crushing him for, for not getting out there and playing. Like he's got to take care of himself. And like we've heard literally 250 times over the last two years, there's no loyalty in pro sports. Like players have to look out for themselves. Like I get that 100%. I think one of the reasons I don't, I can't totally get there on the Kawhi side of this is number one, Kawhi has never really told his side of the story and he's had plenty of opportunities to do that. And number two, I just, it would be so out of character for the Spurs to look at the guy who's supposed to anchor the next 10 years of their franchise and say, you know what, this is a, it's a risk to throw you out there, but we want to make a run at the third seed in the West this year. So, so get out there and play these last 30 games. I don't think that it's realistic to, to say that like, Pop and R.C. Buford were, were putting the screws to Kawhi to risk his own health. Andrew, you're going soft. You shouldn't feel a single shred of guilt <laughs> about anything. Let's run down what he did. He left Manu Ginobili hanging. Yep. I mean, that alone, cardinal sin. He got You'll called out by Tony Parker. Yeah. <laughs> I will, no, I will never forgive him for that. Neither will the Spurs bubble and our and our emailer, Josh. We're not forgiving that. Uh-huh. He, he got called out by Tony Parker. We know Tony Parker wouldn't have called him out without there being legitimate stuff behind it. He got, you know, kind of shaded or sideswiped by Popovich on numerous occasions about his camp and everything else. Uh, he never gave his side of the story, which would have been very easy and very, very common to do in this scenario. He just couldn't either his representation was too incompetent or it was a power play type move. Either way, he has to own that. Yep. And Andrew, the worst of all, he didn't show up on the bench during the playoffs, you know? Right. You got to do that. Well, you just got to do that. And we did hammer him at the time for not doing it. And I love the really, truly diehard Kawhi fans who were trying to explain to us how, oh, he, he needs to be rehabbing. He can't be on the bench. Come on. <laughs> like He could have been on the bench <laughs> if he wanted to be on the bench. And he just checked out on them. And he has to own that. And this is what I mean. After the trade, the first sign of strife and drama in his new home uh, if it's injury-related, health-related, or if it's on the court, is he meshing with people? Is his team struggling to a 500 start? Is he not looking like an MVP player? Everyone's coming for Kawhi. It will happen. And how will he respond? Because he has not truly been criticized. I mean, he missed a free throw that cost them a title. Uh, only myself and the true Spur di Spurs diehards remember that. Uh, everybody else let him off the hook. He checked out on them last season. Everybody, you know, basically gave him a pass for that. And it seems to me it's still a pretty positive reaction to him right now in terms of, oh, the excitement factor of what team can he join? Uh, the bill is going to come due for Kawhi Leonard, and we'll see how he responds next season. Yeah, and as far as skipping the playoffs, 
you made the point at the time, it would have been so easy for Kawhi to just sit there in New York City and record a 30-second like Instagram clip. It could have been his first Instagram ever, and people would have loved it. <laughs> and it would have like it would have solved the situation immediately. And well, Andrew, do you know what else would have been really easy? How about taking a charter flight, getting right. a suit that your stylist picks out, and sitting on the bench for two hours? That's pretty easy. I could do it. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you could do it. Yeah. And it, it's, I mean, just, I was thinking about this earlier. The same way that the Cavs last summer were a reminder that having an experienced GM is pretty important in times of crisis. Like, I feel like the last nine months of Kawhi Leonard has been a good reminder that having a good agent is also pretty important. And I, it's it's hard to say who's calling the shots between Dennis Robertson and uh, I think Mitch Frankel is the name of his agent, but they just haven't done a very good job at managing this. And again, a lot of that just comes back to Kawhi and, and you, like... I'm curious as to whether he will face all the scrutiny that you're kind of predicting for him because oh, it's coming. I think that he's kind of unknowable though, and it's it's actually more fun to discuss guys like Kyrie, guys like LeBron, and Ka- Kawhi has always just been this sort of like silent presence in like everyone's life as a basketball fan, and so I don't know whether he will who like I don't know whether a a 90 minute show debating Kawhi Leonard like does good ratings for for ESPN or something so it'll be interesting to watch I he's definitely good enough on the court to be in that category but he's also just been such a weirdo for so long that like maybe people don't really feel passionate one way or the other about him well, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think anyone's calling the shots like his agents. I think it's a bunch of guys with blindfolds on stumbling around a room. I mean, it kind of feels like they saw the Paul George blueprint from last summer and mm-hmm. they were like trying really hard to copy Paul George's answers on the test, you know, like leaking <laughs> things out. <laughs> and they just sort of stumbled into this situation. But what I'm saying is uh, if you are going to make that type of power play uh, against an organization like the Spurs, and that's his right, that's his prerogative. Uh, there's going to come uh, a moment where a uh, kind of a reckoning, right? And we saw even Kevin Durant had to face a big reckoning. LeBron James f- faced a reckoning in Miami. If you don't live up to expectations and you're the star, you're the face of the franchise, you're the guy who's supposed to be out there in the media, uh, you know, just like Westbrook in Oklahoma City, we crush Westbrook a lot, but give him credit. I mean, he takes it. He goes out there and he answers the questions. He's the face of that team. And, you know, for for better or worse, he owns it. That's going to be what Kawhi is expected to do next season. Yeah. He's never had to do that before. And one last point I want to make on this. Okay. Uh, in terms of just the timing of, of how it, you know, fell apart in San Antonio, the one silver lining for the true Spurs diehards like Josh and the other guys out there is this only elevates Duncan's legend. Oh, God, stop. <laughs> because everyone who gets excited, oh, look, LeBron, he can carry the Cavaliers without Kyrie. He doesn't even need to have his right-hand man to make it back to the finals. This is his most impressive accomplishment yet. Do you know what Tim Duncan's most accompl- uh, impressive accomplishment? It was... You know, keeping it together for almost 20 years, as soon as Kawhi got control of the franchise, poof, the whole thing blew up. Yes, well, that's a good place to wrap up the Spurs section of this because I want to end on one final note that I just called Kawhi Leonard a weirdo, and I feel kind of bad about this because uh, 
really like I've seen a number of people write and tweet about how yes, this is just it's a credit to to Tim Duncan and how unique he was, and it is. <laughs> look, Tim Duncan was the weirdo. Let's be very very clear about that. He didn't want anything that other superstars over the last 20 to 25 years have wanted and it's a credit to him and it it allowed the spurs to stay relevant and stay elite for about 20 years so it's not really just duncan it like it it's both a criticism and a credit to duncan to say that this is that like no one is built like him i mean he's just a very different, strange dude. He wanted the same thing everybody else wanted. That was titles. Okay. He got them. <laughs> he just wanted them in a different way, okay? Like, he went about his business a different manner, and absolutely, it's an unfair standard for anyone. Um, and I can understand completely why Kawhi wouldn't want to be, you know, Duncan Part 2. Right. That's an awful That's lot I mean. to live up to. I mean, that, that to me really is why the I keep going back to this Kyrie comparison, because... For Kyrie, the younger brother stuff, you know, and getting called kid by LeBron, that would be so aggravating and annoying. And for Kawhi, he doesn't really get a chance to have his own identity, even if he wanted to have one. And you're raising the question, maybe he doesn't. You know, maybe he just doesn't even want to be out there. He doesn't want to be his own person. And he's going to just sort of walk blindly into a new situation and try to be the same guy. That's possible. But I would also posit it would be quite annoying to have to follow a guy like Tim Duncan. I mean, what are the odds you're going to have a better career than Duncan? What are the odds you're going to be more beloved than Duncan was? You know, that's an awful lot of pressure. uh, And it's an awful lot of just sort of aggravation. Everything that you do gets framed, you know, in, uh, you know, perspective compared to him. I mean, at some point that would get old. And I can understand why he would want to, you know, kind of fly the coop and and have his own, uh, have his own show. But I do think, they really need to do a much better job of messaging this move once it happens. They need to have, whether it's the Players' Tribune essay, whether it's an exclusive (laughs) inside Kawhi Leonard's summer, whether it's a full tell-all from start to finish of, you know, here's what happened over the last 12 months that led me to this position. Whatever it might be, this track record of just terrible management of the situation, as we've seen from Kawhi Leonard's camp, uh, you know, his people over the last 12 months, they need to do an about face and shock the world and really have their story straight uh, once the trade happens. Because I don't know, though. If, you know what? I disagree because I think at this point he's pot committed to being the stoic, unknowable superstar. Oh, no. And <laughs> oh, no. I saw I saw a Spurs beat writer. I forget which one it was. Suggest that Kawhi Leonard do a Players Tribune essay that's like two sentences long <laughs> And I yeah. think that would be awesome and a legitimate PR win for him if he did that. Well, it would be funny if he got traded to like Sacramento, some place he definitely didn't want to go, and he had to do like a one, you know, one sentence <laughs> Players Tribune essay of like, "I'm excited for the new challenge." Yeah, <laughs> you know. Like, hey, let me ask you this though. I, I want to ask another big picture question. Okay. When we look at the Paul George and Kyrie Irving situations from last year, where you've got teams trading for guys who aren't locked up, you know, until the end of time. They're on relatively, you know, one or two-year uh, contracts. And what we saw was aggressive moves by Sam Presti and Danny Ainge. When you look back at that Paul George experience specifically, and we know all the downsides that came along, but if you were Sam Presti, would you do that again? Knowing everything you know, you know, you've still got a shot to resign him, I guess, this summer. 
you know, you, you did have to part with Oladipo, but, you know, you can make a strong argument if you're the Thunder that you would just do it anyways because, you, you know, you had to roll the dice to get a star to kind of keep Westbrook happy to get the extension done and all of that. Yep. Uh, the, the reason why I ask is, shouldn't there be a lot of people interested in, you know, quote unquote, renting Kawhi and trying to sell him on their vision, sort of like what Oklahoma City did? I mean, should that be a model that other GMs follow? Or do you think it's a cautionary tale? Well, no, I don't think it's a cautionary tale because I think to answer your original question, yeah, I, I Presti would absolutely do that again. I, I Presti would not make the mellow move again. I think that's the one that he would <laughs> like to have back. But uh, Paul George, look, Oladipo has turned into an All NBA talent in Indi- in Indiana, but that was not going to happen next to Westbrook in Oklahoma City, and it's partly because of the way Westbrook plays, but it's also partly because of the way. Oladipo plays and it just wasn't the right fit and he was due a lot of money and so to be able to flip Oladipo for Paul George was a win at the time and something that still makes sense in retrospect even looking at Paul George and and saying it there's a 85% chance he leaves Oklahoma City this summer so to me I think it was worth it and if and if other teams out there can find a similar deal for Kawhi uh, where they're able to do something that makes sense for for their long term and gives them a, a shot at bringing back Kawhi, even if it's slim. Like, I think that's that's a gamble that teams will take. Like, if if the Blazers could get off some money and bring in Kawhi, like they would do it in a heartbeat, whether he's coming back or not. And and there are five or six teams around the league who who fit that description. All of which is a great segue to the second half of the podcast. I really only intended to talk about like the Spurs situation for. For 10 minutes or so but i forgot that i host this podcast with a spurs super fan so i'm glad we we got deep in the weeds talking about san antonio's side of this but let's talk about where Kawhi might actually go because i i laid out some odds here these odds are from bovada uh and which who who will Kawhi leonard be playing for on opening night next season the Lakers are at the top of the board at minus 140. They're, they are the clear favorites here. What do you think? Because part of me wonders, in, in I, I don't know, I, I feel like this is unlikely for two reasons. Number one, I don't think that Popovich wants to clear the way for a Lakers dynasty uh, because I think Kawhi's not the only player who would be going to the Lakers if, if that happens this summer. But number two, part of me wonders whether there's just a, a level of spite here that is going to keep San Antonio from dealing Kawhi to the like ideal situation and where he wants to go next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I can kind of see it from, from both directions because first of all, like you know, we're kind of mocking Kawhi's camp, right? Well, a lot of people mocked LeVar Ball for months mm-hmm. until, you know, his vision came to reality and Alonzo got drafted by the Lakers and he looked like a genius, right? And all of a sudden, who's laughing last, right? And, you know, could we see a scenario where, like, you know, these these blind mice, uh, you know, advisors around Kawhi, like, suddenly put together their masterpiece? I guess, you know, that, that could happen and, and land him with the Lakers. Like, we shouldn't rule it out. I mean, obviously, the the Lakers have a lot of motivation to get a deal done and to try to pry, you know, Kawhi Leonard away, and they've got some pretty intriguing pieces. But the reason why I mentioned that Oklahoma City example, Andrew, is because I think 
the teams should be coming out of the woodwork uh, trying to put together a package to rent Kawhi. Um, you know, just take him on that one-year deal with no assurances and see see what happened because he is such uh, an incredible talent, and so many teams around the league are just never going to have the opportunity to get a like a guy like that in his prime. Uh-huh. And when we see, you know, stars are getting less and less patient. You know, some of these guys are taking shorter-term deals, like Chris Paul last year. He opts in for one year. You know, Durant took a, a short-term deal in Golden State. I mean, they're kind of playing like this year-by-year reality. I think the natural response for teams that don't have superstar level players to this sort of changing trend and how long guys want to commit for is you've got to just take your shot, you know, it, like, and usually in the past, even say three years ago, if that rumor comes out, hey, guess what? Vivek wants in on the Kawhi sweepstakes and he's willing to trade all of his best assets <laughs> for it. And you, my natural response in that situation would just be to kind of like chuckle and say like, ha ha, of course the Kings do, you know, they have no shot to do it. But I think the way this is playing, that's not that crazy of a strategy. You know, if I'm Sacramento, yeah, I'm throwing the number two pick out there to try to get Kawhi for what a year and just see what about? happens. No, this is you as Captain Spurs fan angling for 15 years with Luka Doncic, okay? That it would be insane for Sacramento to give up the number two pick for one year of Kawhi Leonard. That's that's a terrible idea, and it's sad well, that we what, can't would it put be it worse? past the Kings entirely because this is a team that, like, three summers ago was trading a lottery pick to— uh, they were clearing space for Monte Ellis and someone else. I think it was Monte Ellis and Wes Matthews, but, like, that was their best-case scenario, and they traded the pick that is now with the Celtics, and— could end up swinging the Kawhi sweepstakes in a different direction. But the bottom line is the Kings are crazy if they do that. And you're I'm okay. amazed Slow that you even Slow suggested down. that. Well, because this is why I've got you in my logical trap. You just defended the Thunder for trading away a guy who became an all-NBA level player this year. The Thunder were on to the take brink a shot. of contention. Like they needed one other piece. They needed to give they needed to give Russ some help for two reasons. Number one, they wanted to to make a a real run at the Warriors. They did that, it failed, so it goes. But they also needed to bring someone in to convince Russ that they were capable of making a run at the Warriors and and get him to sign that massive deal which now kind of looks like a loss for both sides but like i understand the reasoning at the time the kings like what the hell would they even be thinking bring bringing Kawhi to pair him with like buddy healed and willie Cauley stein come on here's what they would be thinking they've got a gigantic hole on the wing the single biggest story from the king season last year <laughs> listen the single biggest story from the king season last year was the protests they didn't have a single on-court story worth talking about unless you want to take me back to the rookie sophomore challenge you know and their amazing Bogdanovich MVP performance okay and I know you don't want to do that they need a lot of things they need relevancy they need anything close to star power they need to have a reason for fans to show up they desperately need to end that playoff streak right yep and when you trade for Kawhi Leonard okay and this is the thing about the rental and Sam Presti learned this as well and he kind of made this case you're trading for that term that you know you have them, but you're also putting yourself in the mix to keep them, right? And Sacramento, we've seen it. They have no other way to get that top shelf power. They were so excited, Andrew, to trade for Rudy Gay. I mean, how sad does that seem in hindsight, right? 
So would that be their worst move in the world, punting a great draft pick to get uh, an all-NBA level player for a year and a chance to re-sign him compared to the other moves they've made, like drafting Papa Giannis and everything else they've done over the last five years? They've made a lot of bad moves. I wouldn't say taking a shot on Kawhi would be even top five worst thing they've done since Vlade took over. You know what, man? Listen, I'm not going to crush your idea too hard, (laughs) but let me just say... That there are scenarios here that would end with Kawhi teaming up with LeBron and Paul George in Los Angeles, or Kawhi going to Boston and creating a probably the most credible Warriors foil that we could conceive of uh, this year and and for the next few years really in in on that Celtics team next to Hayward and Kyrie and Tatum and Horford like that would be an awesome team. And either one, either either one of those scenarios would be awesome next year. And this, the the trade that you're <laughs> proposing would be really depressing for Kawhi, really depressing for even Kings fans, because then you're like, all right, so we've got one year, and then we're going to be awful again, except we won't have the number two pick, and it'll be very difficult to imagine like a way forward, and they'll be back to square one. And then even if you're the Spurs, like, Look, Luka Doncic is really solid. I, he's not the guy that I would be like, all right, so let's just cash in and build around him. I don't think he's that good. So I didn't, that's not a great idea for anyone involved. I'd rather have Brandon Ingram if you're if you're asking me like assets on the market that I would I would want to bring back. I'm basically using the Kings as an example here just to explain this market dynamic. Now, is this trade going to happen? Most likely not. Most of the trades Sacramento tries to get in don't happen. You know, they're always on the outside looking in. It seems like that's sort of been the story for the last decade. What I'm saying is if players are moving all the time and teams are on the outside looking in, this this sort of uh, preconceived notion that, oh, renting a guy, you know, no team's going to want to trade for him just to rent him. That's already been proven wrong with what Oklahoma City did for Paul George last year. And I think it's only going to happen more often that teams try to, you know, quote unquote, rent a guy because, it's better than their other options. Like, what's the point of Sacramento's season next year? Is there any point that's going to be better uh, than having Kawhi out there? And if if the core is, I don't know, Bagley and and Fox and all these young guys, you know, they they've struggled to develop players for five to ten years. I mean, I could easily see Vivek looking at his staff and saying, "Look, we we haven't developed a single guy since I've been here." You know, like what are we doing with another nineteen-year-old guy who hasn't yet reached his potential? Let's go out and get a real player. I mean, I could just see the logic from their side. Yeah, and I think that the natural pushback uh, is, "Oh, you know, no team would be crazy enough to do that." I think that's wrong. Okay, I, I think we're we're adjusting to a point where they would be quote unquote crazy enough to do it, and I do think teams who are in position even if they're not one of these pristine destinations like you've mentioned, like the Lakers and the Celtics, obviously that makes a lot of sense from Kawhi's standpoint. But I think there should be other teams who kind of follow what OKC did. It didn't work out perfectly for the Thunder, but I don't think it's the worst strategy in the world. Okay. That is a completely valid point. And to say that, look, there is so much turnover year after year in the NBA that teams... If if teams are going to start thinking short term, it's it's not actually crazy to say, look, we know we're not going to have this guy for the next eight years on a co- cost control deal or whatever, but like, let's just make a play for the next year or two and see what we could do. That makes sense to me. Um, but again, if you're the Kings making a play 
is like let's make a run at the eighth seed with Kawhi and then watch him like leave Sacramento forever at, in mid-April. That do, that doesn't seem particularly attractive. It would make more sense well, for it, a team it, like the Heat or something. Yeah, it would be similar to what Minnesota did last year, though, with Jimmy. You know, let's make a run at the eighth seed. They barely squeaked in, and now they've got concerns. He gets injured again, and now they got to decide if they want to pay him yeah. you know, next year, and they've got him for one more year. I mean, it's again, there are precedents for doing what Sacramento would be doing, and uh, you know, at the time we really liked what Minnesota was able to get, given how much they gave up. Now we wouldn't like it as much if Sacramento parted with that number two pick. I mean, that would seem like overpaying. So. Uh, that's probably the only way they can even get into this conversation based on the other assets they have. I don't know what San Antonio would even want. But So uh, let me ask you then, how do you feel about the two favorites, the Celtics and the Lakers here? Well, I think if you're San Antonio, it's probably easier to piece together the, the exact package that you want if you're dealing with Boston because Boston has just such an embarrassment of riches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't love the idea of a package sort of surrounded by Jalen Brown. I really like Jalen Brown as a player. Yeah. I, as I told you to some pushback earlier this season, I think he's better right now, a more complete, more productive, more all-around kind of contributor than Ingram is. But I think he would fit in, in San Antonio very well based on how they play and, and what they're looking for. They would be able to pay him, uh, and maybe Boston would come into a situation here in a couple of years where it would be hard to pay him every last dollar uh, just because they have to pay so many guys there. Yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't want him to be sort of like the face of my franchise, my number one guy. I think that's asking a little bit much of him. Um, I agree. But with I you. think just I, I, that's yeah. that's my read on Jalen. Is I think there are, are a lot of people who look at his numbers through the first two years and they compare favorably to guys like Paul George and even someone like Kawhi, and they kind of project out that ceiling for him. And it, that ceiling is pretty unrealistic to me. I think. I mean. I mean Jalen has been playing in the best situation imaginable for for what he does and and what he brings to the table and so I think his numbers I don't want to say they're inflated but like this is the best case scenario for him and uh and if you're asking him to do more in a situation that's less ideal like he's going to struggle and uh I do think that the the Celtics can then sort of sweeten that deal though by throwing in next year's king's pick um this is becoming a a, a half king's podcast but like if if boston wants to throw jalen brown in with next year's top five top ten uh kings first like then that does kind of kind of even it up with brandon ingram because ingram i think has real all-star all-nba potential over the next few years um but uh but throw in the chance to build a build around Jalen brown with another like top five talent and uh that gets pretty interesting and then it's a really tough call if you're the spurs yeah i don't think that's evened up i mean i take uh brown in that pick way before i would take ingram i got a question for you though i mean this reminds me a little bit of, of how you like ayton but you hate dwight howard i mean you really <laughs> dislike andrew wiggins right yes aren't there an awful lot of wiggins vibes emanating from brandon ingram after his first two years in the nba i mean aren't a lot of the things that we said about wiggins after year two almost identical to what we're saying right now about Brandon Ingram in terms of his shot selection, in terms of kind of his 
questionable, like on again, off again motor in terms of, you know, not being a major, you know, three point guy. I mean, even Wiggins at least got to the free throw line a lot. I mean, why do you like Brandon Ingram so much? Why would you build your whole future Spurs dynasty around Brandon Ingram? You know what? First of all, I'm really glad that you brought up the Aiton Dwight Howard parallel from the last podcast because I, when we finished recording, I thought about that a little bit more. And the biggest difference that one hurt. between it did, <laughs> that one, it did hurt. That one hurt your soul, didn't it? <laughs> I thought about it. The biggest difference between DeAndre Ayton cracking people up and Dwight Howard is that DeAndre is 19 years old. And Dwight Howard was like the jokester in the room for literally like the last 15 years and was, was making the same jokes at like 30. So that's when it became a little bit harder to enjoy with Dwight. But anyways, I digress. Let's talk about Wiggins and and Ingram because Ingram already passes so much better than Andrew Wiggins does. And he can score at all three levels. The jumper is progressing fairly well. I mean, it's, it's not quite there yet, but there's been enough progress to encourage you about about where it's going to be in three or four years. And, uh, and he's a better defender. That, so, like, really, the, the only thing that you can look at and say, this reminds me of Andrew Wiggins, is you're not totally sure if he has that, like, killer instinct every single night. But, uh, but I also think it's just way too early to, to kind of play that game with Ingram because he's not as far along um, athletically and, it, it, like... It, Wiggins came to the league and and was pretty mature in terms of his body and and the way it, like he's not really that that much different from the the guy we saw his rookie year whereas I think Ingram we're going to see him fill out and and he will look very different in in 3 years. Yeah, we're still waiting for KD to fill out. I I don't know how much filling out no, but uh, Ingram's I mean, going to do. Like I mean, you're you're going to give control. this guy five years like, to develop. I mean. what, what I, I I think that's fair. I think that he's like he's still as young as a lot of different people in, that are going to be drafted this week. So it's it's just too early to write him off as a potential superstar. I mean. And he's about to turn 21 in September. He's not that young. You're sounding like the Tatum fans that we make fun of, Andrew. <laughs> but th- look, all right, whatever. I that's that's what the trade is going to come down to, in my opinion. Is I think that if I were running the Spurs, I would look out there and see the market a- and see the next 10 years of my franchise and say, look, it's unlikely that I'm going to find a player as good as Brandon Ingram from any of these teams and even any of the draft picks. I mean, that Kings pick sounds good in theory, but next year's draft isn't great. And you're, you have no idea where Sacramento is going to land. And I like if I would, I would take the potential superstar that is, is real and already exists rather than trying to talk myself into Jalen Brown and, uh, and like hope that the Kings pick lands in the top three. I, that just wouldn't be my move if I were San Antonio. But I think that's what it's going to come down to. I mean, you said he's a better passer than Andrew Wiggins. I mean, he's, he's faster than a turtle. I mean, I think he's – I don't see elite vision or playmaking from him. You know, he's got a you know, fairly high turnover rate uh, when he has the ball in his hands. I, you said he scores at all three levels. I mean, he can kind of shoot the three-pointer, but it's not really just a bankable weapon for him yet. That worries me because he's two years in, and we want to see more progress there from him. Um, and – you know, to me, when he's the best, when he's going downhill, using his length and, and that frame that you mentioned that could fill out, yeah. 
and really putting pressure on defenses, but that's not an every play type mentality from him. And, and that part worries me as well. Uh, he did definitely make progress in year two. I'm not saying he's a terrible player. I just think there's, you know, more questions than you're willing to acknowledge about his trajectory and like his future as an all-star to me is, is not assured, especially in the Western conference. No, you know, I it's think- not assured. And, but I'm, I would feel pretty confident that if he went to the Spurs there's a, a, enough to work with there where they could turn him into a real killer. Whereas put Jalen Brown on the Spurs, and I don't know if he ever really gets there. He, I don't know if he gets to that Kawhi level because his ability to create off the dribble just isn't there. And uh, and Ingram has more in that department. And I just think that you're being a little hard on him. And granted, I know it's, it's a trying week for you as a Spurs fan, but the... Uh, I would say he he's more like Giannis in that like there are gonna be there are gonna be some quantum leaps in in what you're seeing from him from year to year and uh, and it's just too early to to kind of like look at this and try to project out on a linear curve. I hear you. Uh, I would hope he would have those quantum leaps. I. I guess I've just watched a lot of Brandon Ingram play and come away. You've watched you know, a lot of a, really dark Lakers games. That's fair. Yeah, I think uh, that's true. And a, a lot of pretty empty minutes too. I mean, that that's my concern too, but hopefully he just continues to progress. Can and, I ask you something? Uh, if he were in Boston the last two years, if he and Jalen Brown switched places, do you think that we would be having a different conversation about Ingram? Because part of what, attracts me to Ingram is that the Lakers have been such a mess for the last few years that I think he's even better than he looked in some of those games because that that team has had no idea what they want to do on offense. No, I think that's a fair thing. I mean, guys in Boston probably look better than they actually are. Right. You know, if you're San Antonio though, I think you can feel pretty comfortable that you're going to use guys in a similar manner as Boston used them, you know, so it's not like you just you're, you know, like Cleveland taking Isaiah Thomas and all of a sudden he just looks like he can't play at all or like Crowder or whoever else, right? Like I think uh, there's similarities between Boston and San Antonio in terms of the structure where uh, you're not going to see like Jalen Brown's value just like fall off a cliff in a, in a different environment like you maybe saw with some of those other players. I think it's a fair point that Brandon Ingram could look a lot better. I guess my point is if he was in Boston, the first thing that would go is some of these things that I've mentioned, which is the reliance on the long twos, the pull-up mid-range jumpers and that stuff, that would just not be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they would have worked that out of his game already. And it's frustrating to me that LA didn't. You know, it was more sort of like, let's just let this guy get his legs and, and feel uh, you know comfortable on the NBA level doing what he, he likes to do. Uh-huh. Um, but that's just not the way you're going to win. I mean, Brandon Ingram is not going to win a title or take you to the playoffs with 18-foot pull-up jumpers. You know, just like we used to complain about Bradley Beal in Washington doing the same thing. Like... Uh, some of those things would have just been worked out of his game. So I do think your point is well taken that put him in San Antonio, that quantum leap, I would trust that more likely to show up once they just sort of broke his game down and said, you're not allowed to do A, B, and C anymore. You can't do D, E, and F. Right. Um, I could see that coming. And maybe that's the best thing for Ingram. Uh, but I, I'm a little skeptical, Andrew, that San Antonio and the Lakers – will be trade partners. I mean, I know it's yeah, I think that- maybe a, a little too surfacey to say, oh, you know, they hate each other. Pop would never do it. But can you really imagine Pop trading Kawhi to the Lakers? That To me, that seems 
less likely than more. Likely. I really, really can't. And even though I would probably want him on the Lakers in in a ideal world next season, um, it just it feels like Pop is going to kind of put his foot down and say, "No, I don't give a shit about the Lakers' assets. I'm not sending Kawhi to the like the team he wants to be on next year." And you know. The Lakers also have other factors to consider. They need to get off Luol Deng's contract if they're going to be trading for a max guy uh, in the next couple weeks. And and I don't think that the, the Spurs, under any circumstances, are going to want to take back the Deng deal. And they're not going to really want to deal with Lonzo either. So there are, there are more roadblocks than there seemed to be on Friday afternoon when this news first hit and there was like a flood of Lakers fans hitting up Twitter and talking about the Lakers are back. Like, I, I want that to be true, but I, I don't see it really happening. And I think... No, Andrew, th- that's their finals game seven. When they get a, <laughs> a leak about a player wanting to come, that's finals game seven for Lakers fans. But let me let me ask you this, because you posed LA versus Boston to me. What about Philly versus Boston? Okay, well, I will, let's. we've got 10 minutes here. So 10 minutes before you have to leave for the airport. Boston, let's start with Boston because I think it's a it's a trickier decision on Boston's side than it seems to be as well because he Kawhi is going to be a free agent next summer and you know, I think they could feel comfortable trading for Kyrie in part because there was a comfort level with his representation. Kyrie wanted to be in Boston and as those trade talks unfolded last summer like Kyrie made it clear that he wanted to be in Boston, and Danny Ainge had dealt with Jeff Wexler, Kyrie's agent, in the past, and Wexler also represents Jason Tatum, so like, there's a real like track record there and built-in trust a little bit. So flip that over and compare it to Kawhi's current representation. I don't know if you have much reason to trust them at this point, given the way they've handled everything in San Antonio, and then... Add in the injury questions and kind of the unknowable side of this, which is what version of Kawhi are you really going to get, and the salary that you're going to have to pay him next summer on top of paying Kyrie, on top of paying Horford. Like, it's a really big risk for Boston. And if anyone would kind of pull the trigger and just try to make this work, I could see Ainge doing it and saying, look, let's just go win a fucking title and beat the Warriors. I it would be in character with him, but he'd also be giving up assets that he would be otherwise trying to pry Anthony Davis away with. And uh, I don't know. There's just like it's kind of a daunting fork in the road here. Yeah, I mean, if you're Boston, you'd really like to know what LeBron's doing, right? Yeah. Like if Le- if LeBron goes west, I could really see the this notion of. Let's just wait it out. We're good enough to win with our current group. We've got some guys on rookie contracts that helps our depth. We don't, quote-unquote, need Kawhi, right? Mm-hmm. We've got Gordon Hayward, who's going to be sort of the premier forward if LeBron leaves, uh, You know, basically you know, in that entire conference, as sad as that sounds. Um, just roll forward. Now, if LeBron's back and you're, you're looking down another year of like praying that Marcus Morris can slow him down in the playoffs, uh, <laughs> then I could see maybe a little bit of motivation for urgency. But I think if I'm Boston, 
I take a pretty hard line in the trade talks, and it sounds like they sort of did in that in that deadline deal. I don't know if the terms ever got reported in terms of what they offered San Antonio, but it's not like San Antonio just you know turned it down right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, I guess if I'm Boston, I'm interested in Kawhi Leonard, but I'm not interested in overpaying because, like you mentioned, there are going to be stars with fewer red flags and maybe cleaner fits uh, coming down the bend here, whether it's next year or beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I wouldn't mortgage the farm uh, to get Kawhi. Lai. I agree with you. I, if I were Boston, I would stand pat and run it back and see exactly what you have with a healthy version of this team with Hayward out there, with Kyrie out there, Tatum, Jalen Brown. I think the one part of this that might incentivize them to deal now is I don't think there's any version of the of the Celtics three years from now where they're paying. Jalen Brown, $20 million a year or, or whatever the number would be uh, if you, cause you're going to kind of have to max him out cause teams will want to pay him. And uh, I don't think that that's going to make sense for the Celtics. So they'll, they'll throw Jalen Brown into the mix. And if they can get Kawhi, maybe that's, that's what they'll do. But, um, but I, I'm with you that I wouldn't mortgage like that Kings pick if I didn't have to. And I, and I don't think that like a one-year window with Kawhi is is necessarily worth it. Well, hold on a second, because I want to, that's why I brought up the Philly example earlier, because if there is an organization that would not act deliberately, you know, that would take a chaotic <laughs> approach to this uh, situation. We don't even know who's making after... calls in Philly. It honest to God could be Brett Brown sitting in his office calling on behalf of the 76ers. It probably is. Well, I guarantee you this, Andrew, if they trade for Kawhi Leonard, we're going to know who did it because that's a career-defining move, right? And so if there's anybody uh, with a little ambition in that front office who wants to put their stamp on the league and really make it a name for themselves, that guy is going to tell Brett Brown, we need Kawhi Leonard. You know, every reason why I argued that Paul George would be a good fit there as sort of like the Andre Iguodala type figure for that young core, you can make that argument, you know, fivefold with Leonard. I think his fit with Simmons and Embiid would be better than LeBron's fit just because, you know, he doesn't necessarily, you know, need to do all of the playmaking for his team, but he can still score in isolation when you need. Yeah. Their defense would be absolutely absurd. They'd have the best defense in the league if you put him It'd and Embiid incredible. on the court together. And, uh, you know, maybe playing on a, on a team with a big personality like Embiid would shelter or shield Kawhi from some of the backlash that I was describing earlier to me, Philly makes a lot of sense here, and I could see their desperation, their willingness to overpay here a little bit, just to sort of like get them out, of, get themselves out of this cloud of Brian Colangelo. Yep. Could be there. Yeah, I the guess. Question is, it comes down to basically, do you want Fultz? Right? Exactly. I mean, isn't that the que- the question? If you're San Antonio, do you want Fultz? And I, let me ask you this: Where would you rank Fultz next to Brown, Doncic, Pick, or Ingram? Like, where is he on that that list? For I think you? he's at the bottom of the list. Um, Ooh. And I love Markel Fultz, and I I would love Ooh. to see him bounce back from all this and and be awesome. And I've been really encouraged here that he's working with Drew Hanlon, who is sort of a magician and is a big reason Bradley Beal is as good as he is, and a big reason Tatum is as good as he is. So it look he's finally with the right people. So that's a major step in the right direction. But if I were the Spurs, I I would not value him in the same category as a Jalen Brown or Brandon Ingram, just because there's too many questions and there's not a great track record of guys who are able to kind of come back from that sort of public breakdown that, that Fultz went through. Um, that said, look, 
if they don't want to trade uh, Kawhi to the Lakers, and if the Celtics look at this and look at all the risks with Kawhi and say, you know what, we're we're willing to offer Jalen Brown, but we're not willing to go much further than that. Like Philly is is in position to to have Bayless, Dario Saric. Bayless you have to include for the salaries, but Dario Saric, the number ten pick. And Fultz, like that's a pretty solid package, and uh, it's not great, but uh, you know, it's it's maybe fifty cents on the dollar for Kawhi, um, or forty cents even. But given what we've seen other superstars bring back, like it's it wouldn't be any worse than the typical superstar trade we see every every summer. So, like it yeah, might I mean, make sense. It, what would you rather? Ha- who would you rather have, Fultz or Chris Dunn? You know, like you take Fultz. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, so if that's like the centerpiece pick, and I guess you know the Bulls fans would argue, well, you know, you got the Markinen pick. Okay, I I can hear that, but when you're describing this like ideal Sixers package you were putting together, man, I just kept thinking I would rather have Luca. <laughs> just give me Luca. I'll take ten years of Luca to see what happens. If if the Spurs were ranking this, they would probably make the same choice. I just don't think that the Kings are actually going to put that number two pick on the table uh because that's too crazy even for them well here here, here's my uh olive branch vivek and vlade do it i'll give you a positive review okay i'll give you that five-star review i'll i'll go to your apple podcast page i'll give you that five-star review uh if you kind of look at uh, you you know get aggressive using your influence as a as a sports illustrated uh tastemaker trying to to coerce the kings into a completely reckless decision um to benefit your well the best part the best part about the king so they'd probably do that and then they'd probably play Kawhi in summer league just to sell some tickets (laughs) (laughs) yeah get out there all right look final question here celtics are plus 375 lakers are minus 140 spurs are plus 500 sixers plus 500 Cavaliers plus a thousand, Clippers plus a thousand, and then I also included the field, which is Bucks. Maybe the Bulls make a play. The Knicks. I could see the Nuggets being one of those teams for whom it would make sense to just rent him for a year and see what happens and try to make it work. Uh, so, and and also we'll say the field is plus one thousand. Where would you put your money? Well, I wouldn't bet, Andrew. I don't believe in betting, right. but I think I want to be outside the box here. I might just say the field. Okay. You know, I, I think we poked a little holes in some of these different packages. I, I'm having a hard time believing Pop would honor his decision to be traded to the Lakers. That seems a little silly. I can understand Boston's hesitancy. Philadelphia, to me, they're the big wild card here. I think they could get a deal done if they're able to sort of, you know, pull themselves together after uh, the recent disaster. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I keep going back to this rental idea. Like, I think there's enough motivation for teams out there to put together compelling trade packages to just take a shot on Kawhi for a year and, and hope that he can pull himself together. And I guess I'm some of my bet, Andrew, is just skepticism towards Kawhi's camp. You yeah. Know, I, I think, you know, do you want to deal with these guys? I mean, that that's the question. Like, do you want to, you know, trade for him and, and lock him into your foundation? I mean, there's just so many questions there. Uh, that would scare me if I was in a, a position of strength. Okay. Uh, additional question. And actually, the one thing I forgot to add on the 76ers side, and this is something that we will disagree about and don't have time to really dive into, but 
I would trade Ben Simmons if I were them and keep Fultz and invest in whoa, Fultz and Sarich. Whoa, I really whoa, would. Whoa. For who? Uh, for, who are you trading Simmons for? Kawhi. For? If you can get a, what? a medical report that you feel comfortable with, I would do that. And you would need Andrew. assurances that he's going to resign. But I think it's doable. And uh, if, if... Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, I, I have never been more frustrated with you. Not at this idea, but you're a professional writer. We're 67 <laughs> minutes in, Andrew. You can't bury the lead. I know. This should have been your opening <laughs> monologue. I would trade Ben Simmons for Kawhi Leonard. Do it today. I Andrew would. Sharp reports. I would. Uh, <laughs> last question. Do you think a deal gets done this week? Stop it. No. Go back and explain yourself. We need to hear this idea a little bit more fully fleshed. Why would you why would you trade Ben Simmons? I just think that uh, Simmons is going to have issues that he is too good to f- work through if that makes sense. I think that like his baseline is already so high that I don't trust his ability to break down the jumper and make it work. Like he's he's able to succeed on his own terms to such a, an impressive degree that like I don't I don't see him ever really like tweaking his game or accepting a different role. I mean, his his ideal role in an NBA context is almost exactly what Draymond Green does for the Warriors. Um and and he and Simmons would be like a rich man a rich man's Draymond Green. So a rich man's version of like a, a surefire Hall of Famer. So he could be amazing. But as long as he demands to have the ball run through him on offense, I think it's going to complicate what the Sixers can do at the highest levels of the league. And, uh, you know, Fultz doesn't have very much value to the rest of the league. But I think if you're Philly right now, betting on on the development of Markel Fultz using this number 10 pick, because if you trade Simmons, you can keep number 10. You can say, look, you're not going to find any player who is half as good as Ben Simmons. So we'll put Simmons and Jared Bayless on the table. You give us Kawhi. Let's call it a day. I think that would be something that, number one, is definitely not going to (laughs) happen. Number two, wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. So that's all I'm saying. Well, I'll say this, Andrew. I'm proud of you now. I was upset that you buried the lead about a minute ago, but now I've come around. I'm really proud of this idea because what you've done you set the market price awful high for, <laughs> for your Spurs, absolutely. <laughs> and you've been trying to you've been trying to claim that I'm you know angling and negotiating publicly on behalf of San Antonio. <laughs> I didn't do anything nearly as ludicrous as a Ben Simmons for a Kawhi Leonard trade package. I love it. I'm really proud, and I think we need to end yes. on that note, Andrew. We're not going to do better than we'll that. dive into it further later in the week, and we have a lot of draft questions to get to. It will be a lot of fun. Gonna be. A, a kind of a crazy week here um and ben go make your flight i'll see you in new york we'll reconvene on wednesday and uh yeah open floor globe uh, we need your support your two favorite alamo denizens need your five-star <laughs> ranking so go to apple Podcasts, search open floor it's two words uh find our page scroll down it will say rate and review tap five stars it's just that easy. And also, keep the emails coming. We got so many good emails over the weekend, Andrew, about Kawhi Leonard and draft questions. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. We will have podcasts later this week. We will also, Andrew, have the live draft show. Everyone That's can right. watch uh, on SI.com. It will be 
Thursday night running concurrently with the first round. Andrew, we are the second screen experience. <laughs> Talk about we? burying how, how... the lead. Everybody get ready for the draft show. Who gives a shit where Kawhi Leonard goes? Yeah, Andrew's trading Ben Simmons live <laughs> on the draft show, <laughs> whether Philly wants to do it Yo, or not. But another Andrew, reason to yeah. trade Ben Simmons is he and Joel Embiid do not really like each other, and you could just get ahead of that sort of schism, okay? But anyways, we'll we'll, we'll discuss further later in the week. That's That, that trade is 100% and, not happening. Andrew Sharp reports major personality <laughs> s- split in Philadelphia wrecks the Sixers' core live oh, at 11. Boy. Andrew... Until later this week, Trust I'll talk to you. Trust the process. I'll see you soon. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.